0: I'm so excited today to introduce my good friend to you. Her name is Alice Draper, and she is the founder and CEO of Hustling Writers. Alice is a PR guru and a podcasting guesting strategist, and I am just so excited to share her wisdom with all of you today. Welcome to Sugar Coated, Alice.
1: Yay! Thank you, Adrian. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I am so excited. Y- you
0: and I met as part of a, I guess I'll call it a mastermind group. I don't really know what else yeah, to call it. No, but,
1: I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Eleanor Beaton, who is our shared coach and who I've known for many, many years and who I admire so deeply, has these sessions. And Alice was part of my cohort. And once I heard what she was working on and, and what she was doing and how she was growing her incredible business, I thought, gosh, her and I really have a lot of synergies because we're so focused on helping women to gain visibility, specifically using the medium of podcasting. So I would love to sort of just turn this over to Alice, and why don't you tell us a little bit about you and also
1: your business, Hustling Writers? Yeah. Thanks for, the, but thanks for having me here, firstly, Adrian, I'm really glad we got to connect through Eleanor. So thanks, Eleanor. <laughs> thanks, Eleanor. So I started pitching myself as a journalist many years ago. And I obviously learned that pitching is a grueling industry, whether you're pitching as a journalist or I think anyone who pitches themselves knows. And anyone who's been on the receiving end knows how discerning you are towards pitches. And so learning to kind of deal with very discerning, um, jaded editors taught me a lot about having a good story and a good hook. And... At the time, I was also working with coaches as a copywriter and they saw that I was writing for myself for publications and they asked me to pitch them. And that's where I kind of started learning about podcast publicity because that's what they wanted. And so I sort of made up my own strategies or Googled, tested things out, things worked, things didn't work and pivoted my business to publicity full time because it's what people wanted. And I could see sort of tangible impact on the business and on my client's sort of leads and their own confidence and the authority they had. Because I think outside of the leads, Adrian, which is what we talk about, is that, you know, being on podcasts gives you this body of work that makes you feel like you're legitimate and you have authority and you know what you're doing. And so that was really fun. I love developing stories. That's what I really enjoy. And my business is on a mission to make publicity as easy and accessible for underrecognized entrepreneurs at every stage of their business. Yeah, that's kind of a <laughs> nutshell
0: of what I'm I love to your be. mission so much. And one of the things that I love about what you do is, you know, you do help people who are underrepresented and, you know, it's a whole category, even though it's, women were 51% of the population and yet we are still referring to ourselves as underrepresented you know and yeah. meanwhile we are actually slightly the majority uh, when it comes to the population and you start to look at statistics like that i mean this goes across any marginalized group right while they make up a certain percentage of the population they're often not represented accordingly across different industries, government, you know, political, and media. Mm. And so our missions align because it's my mission to help women to get their voices, thoughts, and opinions out into the world so that they can be covered in, in media. Because and I would love for you to talk about this more. Media is it it really does influence collective thinking. So can you talk a little bit about beyond thought leadership and credibility? You know, why mm. is it so important that, that underserved people, including women, why it's so important for them to actually have a voice in the media?
1: Mm. Such a sort of broad question. I think there's so many directions we can go. One is I think that when we see people like us or people kind of like us in the media, we can imagine different futures. I don't know if that that's very vague.
0: I no, wrote that's a LinkedIn, beautiful.
1: <laughs> I wrote a LinkedIn post the other day um, where I was talking about information era. And, you know, this is the positive side. There are so many negative sides to rec- representation, which is that we're not where we should be. But on the positive side, I see it as a hugely positive thing. My old high school, when I was in high school, you know, internet was a thing, but we weren't, we weren't like the Gen Zs are now with the internet. We didn't have as much access to as much information as they do. And so we were like deeply complicit with the status quo. And we really went along with a lot of systemic, not a single person in my school of 1,200 girls was openly queer, for example. A lot of people I went to school with are queer and are openly queer now, but they were not in that space. If you walk into the school now, you meet loads of people who are openly gay, openly trans, openly bisexual. And a big part of that is the fact that through the media, through TikTok, through people's podcasts, through the body of work people have created for themselves, they've seen themselves or something that they would like to be like. In, that, in the media, and they felt safe enough through that online community to be themselves. And, and I think that's just, yeah, like what sort of tip of the iceberg of what sharing this body of work online can do is, you know, we can, I, I often say, like the amount of change that happened in that institution in just a few short years beats decades of like growth. That happened prior to the internet and the media. So I think, like with this information era, with this you know radical access information, we're seeing things speed up in some ways, and also some of the stats are pretty depressing, which we've spoken about before. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I love that. That's such a great example. And it's, it's, I think, a really personal example that a lot of people can relate to. And, you know, I I, I do also want to ask, because I, I, I know that you, well, I don't know where you were born, where you grew up. I know that you're from South Africa but you're in somewhere else what tell us just a just as a, as a sidebar <laughs> tell us a little bit about where you were born
1: where you grew up and, and where you're actually sitting right now yeah. um yes yeah, so I was born in South Africa I was born uh, born free which um, for anyone who doesn't know South Africa was under the apartheid regime up until 1994 so I was born just after the apartheid ended and the apartheid was institutionalized racism so my school that I mentioned earlier was a formerly colonial white school. So a lot of mm. the problems was institutionalized racism and words like that, just relating back to that example, were not words that kids I went to school with had vocabulary for. No one knew that that was a thing, <laughs> you know, mm. so the kids just, the black kids felt like something's not right. Like we are treated differently, but they didn't have the vocabulary to actually explain what was happening. Yeah, so South Africa had sort of difficult history. And I think like Black Lives Matter 2020, a lot of that brought up a lot of discussions in South Africa because there there are big parallels. The difference is that Black is the majority in South Africa, but the power dynamics are very similar to the US and continue to be very similar. Um, White people still own most of the capital in South Africa. So that's where I'm from. And currently... For, for the short term, I am in Lagos, Nigeria. My partner is a technical product manager and he's on a work trip. And I came along and I'm staying in a hotel in Lagos. <laughs> amazing. And and you, you reside for the most part
0: in Dubai, correct? Yeah, at the moment between Dubai and South Africa. Nice. Between, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so... So sugar coated audience we have a global <laughs> a, a global visibility guru which i think is amazing because you not only have the perspective of the united states because many of your clients are you know us based but you also have the perspective of seeing and hearing what happens throughout the world and i think that that is a really unique point of view. And you can bring so many layers into some of these pitches that you do because you do have more of that global mindset. So, you know, in addition to everything, I, I admire that in you so much. So uh, just kind of getting back to the whole entire media thing. I, I do agree, you know, boiling it down, you know, if you can see it or hear it, hopefully you can be it. At least it'll Mm. inspire you that you can be it in, in one way or another. And it has been media is disintermediated right now with all of these different new platforms where anybody can sort of be a journalist even even me right like i have my podcast here and i'm interviewing you that is what traditional journalism was all about right to gather stories to learn about interesting things and then to be able to put that out to an audience who is interested in those things but there still remains the very large media institutions that do have power and influence mm-hmm. so can you talk a little bit about you know in in the past, media has really covered only, you know, a very thin slice of voices and representation around the world. With these new mediums of media, how can women leverage these new things, maybe even to leverage some of the the larger media institutions? Um, How can we kind of do
1: that, I guess, specifically as a podcast guest Mm, mm, I love this question so a mutual friend Leslie Seymour who we we spoke about earlier is a friend of Adrian's Um, I was on her podcast not so long ago and she has a background in traditional media magazines and um, she was editor-in-chief of Murray Claire Moore magazine and um, Red Book magazine I think And I was telling her that my dream growing up was to be a magazine editor. I studied journalism. I've written for magazines. I, um, yeah, like that was kind of my path I wanted to be on. And I entered the professional world at a time where I was watching the media industry sort of lose its power every year. My favorite magazine shuttered when I was 15. My second favorite magazine shuttered a few months later, 17, I can't remember, And um, so I was telling Lizzie that I redirected towards podcasting and she said something that really struck me, which was she thinks podcasts are the new magazines. She said that she listens to podcasts more than she, you know, she only subscribes to the New Yorker now. She said that a lot of her clients, a lot of the women she speaks to listen to podcasts. and I think that podcasting holds a lot of currency in our current attention economy. And a time where we 're bombarded with more information than we ever were before, we used to only get our media in a way that was controlled by certain powers, like we mentioned earlier. The editors who were mostly white, I think it was like eighty percent still to this day, eighty percent of editors are white, and that was the narratives we saw. We got a newspaper or a magazine, and that sort of controlled where, where what we 're consuming and as sad as it is seeing traditional media not have the same power it used to have, because there are layoffs al- always happening. I think people at Business Insider are on strike right now because of the low wages. There's Feed News shut, shut down. It's really sad. I get really sad about it. But yeah. on the other end, the kind of more positive lights, and obviously there's negatives to this too, is... We're not having our media controlled in the same way as it was before. And with Mm -hmm. podcasting, like you said, anyone can be a journalist. (laughs) You're a journalist. There are downsides to that. You have to do a little bit more vetting to see what are good podcasts, who are good people to talk to, what kind of audiences do they have. But also, I think, you know, there's a lot of really, really great podcasts that may not have had the platform if they were going the traditional routes and relying on the approval of funders and like editors who think a certain way and all the Mm -hmm. other kind of red tape you would have in a traditional space.
0: Yeah. The, the gatekeepers that, that kept out voices that, you know, they didn't necessarily think for whatever reason would, you know, resonate or be popular or that they disagreed with. Mm. Um, so I, I I love that. And when you think about all of this and the fact that there are so many podcasts, I mean, I have statistics somewhere on how many <laughs> podcasts there are out there, you know, over a million, they're not all active. But, you know, it's a huge number. Um, And one of the, you know, the negative statistics about podcasting when it comes to hosts is that there's a disproportionate amount of female hosts to male hosts. So that's an Mm -hmm. opportunity for women to be journalists, right, on, on the podcasting hosting side. But on the podcast guesting side, you don't necessarily, if you're, you know, a woman, a woman entrepreneur, a woman leader, you don't necessarily just need to go on a podcast that has a woman host. You, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you have this ability to, like you said, do the research and really figure out, you know, who are these, who are the audiences for all of these different podcasts and, and, and kind of compile your list, make a list, figure out, Who it is that you can actually reach out to. Um, And I think that that's where you come in, even in that initial stage. Like, what type of a, what what objective do you have as the person who's seeking some type of visibility? Right. So, can you talk a little bit about your process and what you do to help women and underserved voices get on some of these? larger podcasts, other people's podcasts
1: get on some of the larger podcasts We you just repeat the last bit of what you said
0: yeah the either the larger podcast or the podcast where uh it's it's in really good alignment with mm-hmm. what the guest um is looking to, who, who the guest is looking to connect with
1: mm-hmm. so is this in terms of getting on the podcast or finding good podcasts to pitch I think, I think it's a two-parter, right? Okay. So yeah. how, how
0: do you, how, how does, how does one even go about the business? This is what you do. This is how you help people. How does mm-hmm. one even go about the business of identifying, you know, what podcasts are out there, what podcasts are right for me as the guest and my objectives. And then once I find that, what do I do?
1: Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, so good stuff. I always recommend when you, once you're looking at the podcast, I always recommend you sort of biggest decision maker is that like gut feeling. So when you're looking at the show, but good backtracking, you may be wondering, how do I even find those shows? Like, let alone, do I have a good feeling about this show? The best starting point is I always think has worked really well for me and for all the client research, all of the sort of podcast research I've done for clients gather a list of people who you respect and who are ahead of you in your industry and speak to a similar audience to you. So if you are a money coach, who are the sort of more well-known money coaches? And you may not do the exact same thing, but if you guys speak to a similar audience, gather that list and then pop their names into either Apple Podcasts or Listen Notes. And then you'll see every podcast they've been on And that's a great starting point for finding shows. Usually you can click see more shows under that category. And then you just have loads of podcasts in your niche. And then once you've found the podcast and you're trying to decide, is this somewhere I actually want to pitch? Is it something that's a fit for me? The first metric is that I say, which is that, like, I think your subconscious brain works way more quickly than our conscious brain. Do you get a good feeling from this show? So mm-hmm. when you look at it, does it sort of make you think? Ugh, no, like, don't think I'd vibe with this. It could be, you know, the picture it could be the text the person had, it could be the listening to the first five minutes and the vibe the host gives off. And if you get a really good feeling, then that's a good sign that you should pitch this show. If you want to get a little bit more technical, of course, the vanity metrics of like, does this show have a lot of reviews? Does this show on um, listen notes? It gives you like a top percent score. If it's like top 5% or top 1%, you know, it's got more listeners. So there's more people who will hear what you're saying. Um, You can go with that. But there is so much power in niche podcasts. And so when it comes to more niche podcasts, what I would recommend is have a look at the host and see if the host is someone who you align with. Um, That could be noticing value alignment in their bio. It could be going to their LinkedIn profile and seeing that, you know, this is someone you respect from this limited data you have. It could also be, you know, you are someone who sells $10,000 programs, for example, and this person you realize as selling $100 programs. You may realize maybe this isn't going to move the needle in the way I need it to because she's catering for people who are just starting their business, whereas I'm catering to people who are 10 years in business. Stuff like that, you know, you can kind of judge are they at a similar level or above you in their business because that's a good sign if they're above you. And then I feel like I've been talking a lot. <laughs> so No, Alice, you... this is gold. <laughs>
0: Not at all, are you kidding me? I'm I feel like I'm sitting in a master class. Keep going.
1: <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, and once you decide to press uh, just pitch the place, you know, and you're finding somewhere to pitch, you can find the email on their website. You can use a tool called Clearbits to find the email address. Um, it's like a sort of extension that you can put on a on your Google Chrome and then you can click on it and see, the people under a website and their contact details. If that doesn't work, Facebook also often has contact details. And then when it comes to actually sending the pitch, you want to cover some basics. And I have a pitch guide that I can send. Leslie, you can put a link maybe in the show notes. That I cover this in the pitch guide, but the basics are, you know, you're personalizing it. You're giving, addressing them by first name. You are including a story hook, you're including speaking points, you're including a bio with links, because if the host is interested in your pitch, they're probably going to want to see a little bit more about you. So you want to make it easy for them to find your website or your LinkedIn. A call to action, which is just, you want to connect for a podcast episode. But then what I would really emphasize is the biggest part of your pitch is the story. That's your Mm -hmm. make or break. Of course personalize it that's really important too i usually open it with like a personal paragraph about something specific the host said on a podcast or something they posted yes. which is yeah that kind of makes it seem like it was targeted to this particular person and it's not just a generic spray and pray pitch next up is like the attention from a story hook because um as you would know adrian like we you get a lot of pictures and <laughs> yeah. no, you know no one has you have no guarantee of having someone's attention to read through all your speaking points and look through your website so that story is everything so the story hook i would say should be something along related to your speaking points related to kind of your business mission so an example i could give is You could be a career coach and your story could be something like um, I, in quotes, the HR rep informed me I was fired, like, and that's like a quote. And then next line could be like, five days earlier, I had reported an instance of sexual harassment. Mm. And then you could say something like this was 15 years ago. I have done XYZ and now support women going through this. Are you interested in a podcast episode to speak about this? Include some speaking points about kind of the work you're doing and then your bio. So a story doesn't need to be long. It's just something that alludes to an important topic and catches the host's attention and also shows them that you can speak on topics that are interesting and relevant to their audience and can potentially hopefully solve a problem that their audience is facing. I hope that makes
0: sense. So good. <laughs> yeah. It makes a ton of sense. It's so good. And what you have just shared here is gold. And so I appreciate that so much. I mean, I think that people could probably rewind and listen, stop, take notes, and then follow what you have just outlined step by step and and craft a successful pitch. So Thank you. That's gold. And we definitely want to include that pitch guide in the show notes and for people to download and go find you and all of that stuff. So we will. I want to, I want to, I guess, like tune back because as I was listening and I was listening for the content, I also heard something that I thought was very characteristically, you know, female if I if I could assign that type of uh, description yeah. to what you're doing and I as I was listening to you talk I, I kind of got the chills because I thought to myself this is the difference in how women do business versus men and I'm not saying we're better they're better it is different and it's nuanced and I I I hope that the audience heard it too. Everything from personalization, showing that you care and that who you're reaching out to matters to you, right? From a genuine perspective. And even just what you said right in the beginning about, you know, take a look at these podcasts, listen to a couple of things, check out the people, but check in with your gut.
1: Yeah, Like that, (laughs) is so
0: powerful. And we don't talk about that enough in, in business, right? And it's often the, the thing that is the difference between having a good experience or working with a good client and, and letting our minds take over and our logic about the situation take over that leads us to a decision down the road that might not be so good for us. So it's almost like totally different conversation, yeah, but, but how, you know, <laughs> it's good. Like, And how do you tap into, recognize, and trust what's going on in your gut?
1: Mm. You know, I have a client who talks about this a lot. She, she's a leadership coach. Her name is Kelly Thompson. She probably is the reason, because we've been working together for a really long time, that I'm very intentional about doing this and probably why I tell other people, if you're looking at podcasts, check in with that because there's science to it. Um, I think it's it's something that like subconscious brain works at a much faster speed than the conscious brain. So we don't know all of the reasons why it's a big yes or a big no to something until we can sit back and spend a long time understanding it. And it's that whole thing you mentioned, like with a client, for example, Often clients where things didn't go very well, there was a kind of knotty feeling in your stomach, but you brushed past that. Wow, well, I've been there. We brush past it, we ignore that feeling, we kind of focus on logical, which is like these things add up, let's go ahead. And then something goes wrong, it doesn't the the relationship isn't as good as it is with the clients who you felt really good about in the beginning. And then only afterwards you can look back and be like, oh, you know, these things were off. And at the time we did, we we often can't verbalize what mm. was wrong, but we could feel it. And it's the same with like everything. Yeah. It's like dating, right? Like if yes. you go on a date, you can feel <laughs> if it's off, the energy is off or not, even if you don't have the words to describe it. And so I think it's a mm. whole like corporate In the work world, we're kind of taught to sort of measure things head up. And a lot of the answers are in the gut.
0: Mm. I love the fact that you're talking about that there is science behind it, because there certainly is. I think it was, uh, I don't remember the, the name of the book, um, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell, Mm. but that whole idea of thin slicing where, Mm. you know, the the experts who there was one story about two people going in to identify whether some type of a a dinosaur skeleton was, you know, from this era or that or I forgot what it was and even though all the scientific instruments measured something another scientist came in and said you know no this is when it's from even you know despite the instruments all saying something they that was wrong and the person the person who said no they were right because yeah. there was something off and they weren't able to articulate exactly what it was just like you're saying there is so much innate wisdom in our, I, I guess, what we call our gut. Mm-hmm. It probably requires a different name yeah. because it's. And I think I have heard people call it your second brain. I yeah. think I have heard heard that. But you are so right, and I want to talk about this so much with everybody. We are conditioned, especially those of us who have been in corporate, to think from our shoulders up, mm-hmm. right, and to override it's like a program that overrides our second processor mm. right mm. and those that that's that's wrong it's mm-hmm. wrong it's not fully embracing everything that we know right it's not fully embracing our human intelligence because our human intelligence doesn't live above our shoulders exclusively.
1: Yeah. And And, I think from a gendered perspective, like women are taught that we're too emotional and like what's more emotional than trusting your guts? Like it rarely serves certain groups of people for us to ignore that. (laughs) And to, yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. But this is maybe where, Mm -hmm. this is maybe where
0: women have an advantage because it is so natural to us right? And if we can, like you're like you're doing, if we can start to incorporate some of that, you know, gut feeling in our decision making, we probably are going to make better decisions.
1: Mm. Mm. I mean, I think if we just do an audit on our life, right, I'm sure anyone listening can think back to decisions that were bad in retrospect, whether it was a bad person you started a relationship with or it was a bad job you took or it was a bad client you worked with or a bad hire you made. Nine out of 10 times, I bet you can picture the feeling in your stomach that you felt early on and you chose not to focus on because it didn't make sense. It didn't make logical sense.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah right and 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 the more reflective that we can be about what that feeling feels like hopefully the more we can recognize that feeling when it comes up and and almost like you know based on past performance like yeah. we, we do need to right past performance does predict future you know wins losses outcomes maybe we can learn how to fully embrace that, so that we are making these better decisions for ourselves. And and I think that that totally applies to instead of if you are someone who's looking to get visibility, instead of just focusing on the top podcasts or like, you know, the most popular hosts or, you know, whatever it is, be strategic from both Points of view on who it is that you are reaching out to in the first place.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. And um it also, a podcast episode, and I, I think I mentioned this, is it's, you know, you don't have to overthink the gut part as much as you would if you were assigning a client or taking a job, because like you really need to check in with your body if you're doing something that's going to take a lot of time and energy from you. But I have heard of podcast recordings that didn't go great. Um, I know someone who felt like they were quite rude and dismissive about a lot of her ideas and she didn't feel like they actually wanted her on the show. And she checked in afterwards and asked if they could either do a re-recording or just scrap the episode. And they put the episode up like two days later, which is really weird, like to record and then have the episode up in like three days. And if she looked back and she sort of checked in with herself there were some things that weren't quite right about that so it is i think podcasting it's not the stakes are not nearly as high as it is with the other examples i mentioned but it is a very foolproof method of kind of figuring out like is this someone is this someone i want to build a relationship with that's also a big right. question because a lot of the like fun of podcasting is like the relationship building and getting to meet new people and if, so true. if you don't want a relationship with them, where like, whether that's as a friend or a professional relationship, there's no point pitching them. Like, <laughs> there yeah. are loads of people. That's, sure that's so would. good.
0: It reminds me of this book that I'm reading that that incorporates a lot of different types of concepts from things throughout the years. But as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, the way that you do one thing is the way that you do everything. Mm. So what's the criteria for your life, right? Mm. Like maybe podcasts are are low stakes and maybe it doesn't matter, you know, who it is that you're talking to, but maybe it really matters Mm. because if you're going to compromise your ideals, values, you know, push your gut aside in, in one low stakes area, then you're probably doing it in another high stakes area in your life. So it's like, where do you want to be operating? Yeah. And I I've really been thinking about this a lot. This this book, which I'll I'll throw out there as a resource. It's it's somewhat new. Um, it's called 10X is easier than 2X. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just there's so many different concepts in there that really I think can help to level up your thinking and and not even your thinking, you just your the way that you do things, the way that you that you make decisions mm-hmm. and how you how you sort of decide who you want to be, what your mm-hmm. identity is, and what you will accept and, and not accept. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I just think that everything that you have said sort of, you know, supports that and, and moves toward that. I did want to ask one other question before we wrap up and it probably could be another whole episode altogether, <laughs> but As a guest, Mm -hmm. I've actually, I'm asking this because I've actually had guests use this strategy, I guess is how I'll say Mm -hmm. that, on me as a host. Yeah. So often the guests will have some type of a, you know, a program that they do or something like that. And before, Podcast start. I, I think if a podcast host is a good host, they just do a little talking to to warm everybody up. And then throughout the conversation, you learn a little bit more about who it is that you're interviewing. And I have had guests then turn around, whether it was that, that moment or however long down the road, and actually pitch me as the host mm. on their services. Mm. And and then sometimes I've learned about them and I've asked them to work with them because I've been so impressed with them. Yeah. So this is like another layer of podcast guest strategy. It's not just to like get out there and you don't want to be slimy as a guest, yeah, like yeah. pitching the host. Yeah, yeah. Like but, but, as soon as
1: you get the acceptance, slap it, drop another pitch and like just email him every time. Exactly. Week of
0: but it yes. is something that I have seen done and done in an elegant way mm-hmm. so that it, it doesn't put me off. Do you
1: ever advise your guests to maybe use that as an opportunity? That's really interesting. I have not advised any of my clients to, but I can totally see how it would work in an elegant way. If you are speaking to your ideal clients and you have a great conversation, there's great rapport. If you pitch them, and I would recommend leave some time, don't just pitch them straight after the conversation. I also like recommend on the relationship front, always offer podcast hosts you've invited you on the show, like, if there's a favor you can do for them, whether that's review them on Apple podcasts, or like, you know, promoting a show in a certain way kind of shows it's less, you know, you're not using us just as a transactional means and end. But when it comes to pitching the host, I think, like anything, when you've warm when there's been face to face contact there's a connection they see you as a real person, one and two they see you as a smart, interesting person. That's a good strategy if it's done in an elegant way, if it's not you know you bombarding them with your offer and them having said no and you're still bombarding them, of course that's not elegant but If you can see that you know you can solve a problem that they're they could be potentially facing, your pitches executed in a way where you're mentioning specific things about their business, yeah, I can totally see that working. So that's a good strategy. Um, (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, There's definitely a couple of different you know ways you know that you beyond just even getting on the podcast, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. building that relationship. We shouldn't be Looking at the guesting strategy as a transactional one time thing, yeah, this can really be the beginning of an incredible relationship. Strategic partnerships can form from Mm -hmm. it, you know, maybe co producing events, webinars, you know, (laughs) collaborating (laughs) on things. And I do think that that's such an important message that we need to put out there, you know, maybe in the past with big media outlets you build a relationship with a journalist okay mm-hmm. but this can go beyond that especially for women entrepreneurs right yeah. it's not just about building the relationship with the host it's about building the relationship with the host with the host audience yeah and how can you be a really good guest so that you do ingratiate yourself to yeah. that host
1: yeah yeah because i think the opportunities are endless you know there's Leslie invited me to de- deliver a class to her audience, the Covey Club audience. I have clients who have built strategic partnerships with the hosts, ended up doing like a like Instagram live series, ended up co-hosting events together. And that goes back to the relationship aspect. Is this podcast host someone you would want a relationship with outside of the interview? because the potential is endless and Mm. yeah like you said not just looking at it as a simple transaction i'm on your show now i'm done i think that the magic really happens after that like of course you can have great leads um on shows especially popular shows but look at it as an investment into relationships and yeah i love that
0: (laughs) so good this is so good Oh my gosh, I, I, you know, you know that you and I could talk forever, (laughs) Uh, but I want to thank you so much for just dropping such incredible pieces of information for everybody. And I do highly recommend to go back and sort of listen to everything that you can do to set yourself up for success as a guest and familiarize yourself with it because not everybody is familiar Mm -hmm. with how to pitch. So, so do that and educate yourself. But I would also highly recommend reaching out to Alice and having her help you think through all of this and really leverage her expertise. I think as women, and, and I'm I'm not trying to sell, but I think as women, we often do try to do everything ourselves. And the the I think the more strategic move that will get you 10x in your life to quote the 10x is Mm -hmm. easier than two x books is to actually hire the experts who that is their area of expertise so that they can help to exponentially get you to where you want to go so with that alice how can people get in touch with you
1: Thank you, Adrian, for firstly, before I mention how people get in touch with me, thank you for having me. And thank you for sending that email all those months ago to say, let's connect because it's been a really rewarding relationship on the relationship side of things. So to connect with me, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn.com forward slash Alice dash M dash Draper. And then if you want the pitching, I know you, you know, Adrian said you can go rewind, but a lot of what I mentioned is also in my pitch guide, which has like a template as well. So you can find that on my website, which is hustlingwriters.com forward slash podcast, pitch guide, podcast dash pitch dash guide. Uh And on a strategic note, final strategic notes, this is a very great way of attracting leads when you go as a guest, is to have a single lead magnet that's related to the topic you're talking about because there is incentive for listeners to do something. So, if you have struggled with kind of generating leads from podcasts, I hope this is, <laughs> you
0: know, so good. Gold. Gold platinum. Forget about gold, (laughs) platinum, diamonds, Diamonds. (laughs)
1: rubies.
0: (laughs) Alice, thank you so much. It's always such an incredible pleasure speaking with you. And I just, I'm so happy that we are just in collaboration with, with one another. And, um, you will definitely be back
1: yes maybe one day in new jersey i'll come meet you for coffee
0: <laughs> i would love that that would be so wonderful
1: well thank you so much thank you so much Aline. this is so great <laughs>